Coming up on this episode, it's a Christmas in July spectacular as we welcome authors Julie Murphy and Sierra Simone. Welcome to episode 431 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of queer romance fiction. I'm Jeff, and with me as always is my co-host and husband and elf, it's Will. Ba-la-la-la-la, everybody. It is great to have you with us as we take a moment in our Super Summer bonus episodes to celebrate Christmas in July. And we're going to get right to it. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know we love the holidays, uh, the holiday romances that come with them. One of our absolute favorites is last year's Merry Little Meet Cute by Sierra Simone and Julie Murphy, which I think Will called one of the most perfect romances he'd ever read. Indeed, I did. They've just released a sequel novella called Snow Place Like L.A., which features Luca and Angel, who readers met in Merry Little Meet Cute. This novella is so, 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 so good. I can't put enough so's in there. Bringing us back to everything wonderful about the Christmas Notch world that Sierra and Julie created. And for those of you who might not like reading Christmas in July, they've got you covered here because most of the story actually takes place in the summer. In this extended interview, we find out how Julie and Sierra hatched the idea for Merry Little Meet Cute and the all-Christmas, all-the-time town of Christmas Notch. Give you a little hint. There was pie and a hot tub involved here. And we'll hear what readers will find in Snow Place Like L.A. and this fall's follow-up with Holly Jolly Ever After. Hang on to your Santa hat, too. This is one of the most entertaining interviews we have ever had. If you're like me, Julie and Sierra are going to have you laughing out loud multiple times during this conversation. Sierra and Julie, I'm so excited to have you here. Merry Christmas in July. Merry Christmas in July. This is like, you know, double dose of Christmas from us each year. Yeah, yeah this, is, us. this is the time of year that the really fancy Christmas trees are on sale, right? So Yes. Um, if anyone <laughs> is a fan of fancy Christmas things, Nisha Sharma turned me on to Balsam Hill. Is that mm-hmm. what it is? Yeah, uh, Balsam Hill, and they have a sale every year in July, Christmas in July, where you can get big discounts on yeah. Christmas trees and decorations and all that. There's a free ad for you, Balsam Hill. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, That's I want right. to be a Christmas a influencer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm very familiar with Balsam Hill, having watched more than my fair share of Hallmark Christmas movies. I love the tree that you just flip, and then boom, it's all like yeah. fluffed and ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> amazing so i'm so happy you're here because we get to talk about the sequel to the very awesome merry little meet cute snow place in la just warmed my heart so completely but before we talk about books how do you celebrate christmas in july Ooh, i feel like i'm i'm a big treat yourself kind of girl so if you need a friend to encourage you to be indulgent that's me. Like I will be that person. And I'm always looking for like any little thing to celebrate. So I think one year I actually did send a Christmas in July care package to Sierra's kids. Cause I was like, you don't spoil them enough. And (laughs) they're too kind hearted. They need a little bit more spoiled brat energy. So I sent them a huge box for Christmas in July. So yeah, I just, any little way I can, but I think that The whole purpose to me of Christmas in July is to treat yourself as you're going to treat others, hopefully in December. Yeah. And I think I'll speak for you a little bit, Julie, and say that your spouse used to be a public school teacher. So Mm -hmm. you had summer, like 
what I found being friends with someone who was a public school teacher is that the gravity of their schedule just sort of pulls everyone in. And mm-hmm. so we would all end up like going to a lake, a random Midwestern lake, you know, during July because he had it off and the kids were off school. So we would take family trips together. And so it was really nice because it was sort of like a pause halfway through the year. Like everything stops, slow down for a minute. Let's just like lay on couches together and watch bad movies. Yeah, that's true. That's what we did. I love that. The indulgence and really like, you know, think about treating people as you would treat them in December. If you can't do it all year long, at least capture that holiday spirit for a little bit in Mm -hmm. July. Now, for those who missed Merry Little Meet Cute last year, I'm going to ask you to go backwards a little bit. Will adored this book. I think we gushed about it throughout November and December because he called it one of the most perfect Christmas stories and perfect romances that I think I'll ever read. And I have to say I agree with you on that because it was just pitch perfect. Tell people about the story of Nolan and B. All right. Julie and I are like, we always take turns. Like who's got to, who's got to We're always like staring each other down. We're like, are you doing it? Are you doing it? I'm there. I, doing it. I talk a little bit about it. So basically a Merry Little Meet Cute is about B. Hobbs, also known as Bianca Von Honey, who has a job as an adult performer. And she gets sort of through a series of misadventures, semi-accidentally cast in this very wholesome Christmas movie. For legal reasons, it's not a Hallmark movie, but you know, it's a, it a small mark movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so she, when she gets to set, she really has to keep her day job or night job, as it were, under wraps. Under no circumstances can anyone on set know, because if they do, basically the people around her sort of found family of friends and her producer who got her into this mess, everyone could kind of, you know, suffer. So the stakes are like, no one can find out. No one can know who I really am. And she gets to set and she meets her co-star, Nolan Shaw, who is a former boy bander who was kind of like the bad boy and really like lived up to that reputation. And, you know, he had a brand to maintain. He's trying to reform himself as well. He also cannot afford any more scandal, except when he sees B, he knows immediately who she is because he is her number one fan. And so Basically, the book never looks back from there. That is it perfectly in a nutshell. And it's just, I mean, you distill it to that nutshell, and yet it's this amazing rom-com. All of these additional characters and the found family that builds up around the set and who kind of rally around B and Nolan as everything unfolds. But then the amazing families that they have essentially back home, you know, and the things that they're dealing with outside of making this movie. There is so much packed into this that actually makes it more than a Hallmark movie because no Hallmark movie goes this deep in the 90 minutes that they have. (laughs) How did you decide all the elements to like put in here to create the world? I think that all those like like I of course I love writing like the romance and the primary relationship but all those outside pieces are what I get most excited about when I'm writing. So like all those supporting cast members, all of the world building and things like that, like that's, I think that like every character at some point became its own inside joke. And at some point we were like, every character feels like they should have their own book. And that's what, like, that's what gets us so excited about like ensemble casts, like Schitt's Creek and Ted Lasso and things like that. So it felt 
like a really natural thing and nothing we necessarily did on purpose. But then like it was definitely what made the project so exciting was getting to write all these like additional characters that were fully fleshed out and also had just these absolutely unhinged backstories. <laughs> I mean, it's a perfect way to, to phrase it too, I think. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like we uh, sort of unintentionally through this, the studio that B works for is called Uncle Ray Ray's. And we sort of unintentionally created this found family with sort of the people associated with Uncle Ray Ray's. And we really like, after we realized what we had done, we were like, oh my gosh, this is so perfect because it mirrors our own lives where, you know, we have good good relationships with our families as well, but we would not be the people we were today and would not have had the security and safety to grow into the people we were today if it weren't for our found families, especially when we were younger in college and in our early 20s. I think those are really vital to us. And so it just, it was such a natural organic thing to kind of put that on the page for these characters too. And even though it's a male female romance, this is extremely queer at the same time, which I thought was just wonderful how you just put all of that together when put a nice little Christmas bow on top of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think our, like our constant anthem for the book or for this entire world really is queer until proven straight. Uh, <laughs> that's just our threshold going into this. Yeah. And I think that you know, Julie and I are both aggressively bisexual. And I think that one of the things that we really kind of love doing is sort of picking apart the, like the heteronormative monolith that is like a male female romance, right? That like, you can have queer MF as well, in a world that's populated with queer characters. And so we didn't want or I guess what we did want was to sort of poke holes in this idea that there's sort of like a straight default that romances are gravitationally oriented to and just do our bit to kind of, you know, disrupt that as much as possible. God, I love when she uses words like monolith. It's just <laughs> so sexy. <laughs> when you say it like that, that makes me think that it should be like a dirty synonym for like, you know, there's like, stamen and you know yeah. pulsing member his monolith yeah. his monolith <laughs> so look oh for my that gosh. In the next yeah. if that yeah. shows up in a future book i'm gonna know yeah. exactly where it originated from yeah <laughs> well thank you get polyamorous <laughs> welcome to monolith <laughs> you two have been friends for quite a while now how did you decide to actually do a collaboration what led to that a hot tub Hot tub. <laughs> okay. So Julie and I have been sort of enacting a slow burn Christian Grey Anastasia Steele romance for the last eight years. Um, and our friendship was actually kind of born with a lot of romance tropes. So like we have a mutual friend, Natalie C. Parker, who is an organizer. And so she was going to put together this book tour. This is when I was writing young adult books as well under a different name, obviously not under Sierra Simone. And um, you say that, but I write our books under Julie Murphy and my kids' <laughs> books under Julie Murphy. <laughs> so. I guess I have corrupted you. Yeah. Um, so we were going on this tour together and Natalie was organizing her friends and Julie and I had never met each other. And Natalie was like, that's fine. I think you guys should just come and help me pay for this <laughs> anyway. And so we rented a van and the idea was is that we were going to load up in the van and drive around these bookstores in the Midwest on our own dime because our 
we weren't really the kind of authors that had like a marketing budget from our publishers or anything. And, uh, but the catch was because we were all paying for it ourselves, Julie and I were going to have to share not just a room, but a bed. And so Julie, I think was pretty, Listen, uh, <laughs> I like my personal space. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was very skeptical of this person that I was going to be sharing a bed with. So when we first pulled up to Sierra's house, I got out of the van and I said, hi, my name's Julie Murphy. And I snore like kind of like challenging her, like, like just throwing down the gauntlet, like a threat. And then I was like, that's okay. I have narcolepsy and I can sleep through anything. And we never looked back from there. Mm -hmm. We basically immediately became best friends, insta love faded mates, whatever you want to call it. Um, We were best friends within a day. And that was eight years ago now. Was it? No, it's longer. It's nine years now, isn't it? Oh my, I mean, I believe you. I totally believe you. It's nine years. But I cannot math time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We started going on these yearly writing retreats because we quickly found out that uh, we were both vampires and like to work through the night while our other friends would get up at like, six in the morning and like do yoga and have a smoothie and like set goals for the day. And we would roll out of bed at like 11 o'clock and look for like pop tarts and lunch meat just to like feed ourselves. And so we were definitely bringing like major teenage boy energy to our friends, very nice aesthetic writing retreats. So we started going on these writing retreats for vampires only, which was just Sierra and I, And, uh, it's like just sort of snowballed from there. Like we started reading for each other and like brainstorming with one another. And then finally, just one year we were sitting in our hot tub. I think it was 2020 because this is how our writing retreats end every night. Like we just, uh, write until like our brains are noodles and then we go cook in a hot tub and eat as much pie as we can. And if I may, I am fact checking you live. We were in bed eating pie when when lightning struck. Okay. We were, we were in bed. That's right. We were in bed eating pie with like plates of pie balance on our boobs. And um, (laughs) that's when lightning struck. And one of us, we were watching Hallmark movies and one of us turned to the other and said, you know, these movies aren't so different than other movies that you might watch by yourself alone in bed at night. (laughs) And it just kept going. And then it did end up in the hot tub. Yeah. Our brainstorming session. Your writing retreats sound amazing. I mean, (laughs) there's no standard is what's great about our writing retreats. (laughs) And you're essentially the meat cute had all the tropes in it between forced proximity and only one bed and opposite detract and, you know, yeah. just kept going from there. You know, I can see, you know, how people do the little graphics on social media with like their book cover and then it's got all the tropes. Yeah. We should do that with just a picture of our faces, Julie. Oh. <laughs> Marketing tool. Check. Marketing tool. We'll put you in the acknowledgements too. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> if I research right, Julie, this is your first collaboration. How was it for you from moving as a solo writer to now collaborating with somebody? I was a little nervous. I think that we were both a little nervous to dip our toes into this because we value and treasure our friendship so much 
that we really wanted to make sure that like, it was the right idea. It was the right time. And sure it was the right idea, but was it the right time? Was it ever going to be the right time? Are we endlessly busy? Yes. But it was really way more liberating than I expected it to be, I guess. Like I just was like shocked to find out that writing this book felt a lot like writing my very first book. It felt like writing felt new and fresh again. And it felt like every time I was writing a chapter, it was just to like show off for my best friend and just to try to like make her laugh. And, you know, as we continue to write together, like we're still finding that's true. So I don't know if I could like collaborate with like literally anyone because I'm a Scorpio, but we are a really good fit for each other. And it has made me excited to try collaborating more and more because I don't want to admit this because I am a Scorpio, but it gets a little lonely writing by yourself all the time. And how was the new collaboration for you, Sierra? Because you've done it a time or two already. Yeah, I think this was maybe the most seamless one because Julie and I have such complementary strengths. So Julie comes from a theater background. She's, you know, written screenplays. And so no one understands like beats and pacing and dialogue better than Julie. So like when you want a scene to move, when you want it to snap, when you want that banter to be just like, you know, very sharp and sparkling. Julie's like an expert at that. And I am really good at describing what kinds of trees grow around a town. So (laughs) together we made like one normal writer. And so it was really And the sex scenes and the sex scenes. Like you you were definitely like my shepherd through writing my very first sex scenes, like 100%. And also I hate writing about trees. I hate it so much. I will literally in my chapters, just be like, talk about the mountains here. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it is nice because it means that you have, you know, someone to lean on a little bit. If you're stuck, we talk on the phone almost every day while we're drafting. And so we're talking through everything to make sure that we've still got the flow, right. That what we've plotted before still works, but then also we write in Google docs and Google docs really facilitates communication, I think. And so we can leave notes for each other in there and be like, Hey, Julie, make this funnier. Or, you know, she can be like, Sierra, please do the sticky parts. And so like, (laughs) we can can kind of talk to each other that way, but we have also gotten in fights in Google docs because you can be typing at the same time. And yeah, sometimes we will just get into little arguments in there. All in good fun. All in good fun. And Julie always wins. Yeah. Yeah. Playful. You should release those as like the, like, bonus director's commentary here's where we argued argued about this part (laughs) oh my god that's the behind the scenes footage um, of us writing (laughs) don't tell me that because my ego will suddenly get so big i'll think that someone wants to read that (laughs) (laughs) how do you split up the writing because it comes back as you know this cohesive voice like you would want a co-write to do But it's so strong here. Like, how do you approach that element? Well, we actually have two different approaches. So with A Merry Little Meet Cute, it's dual POV. And so we each kind of took ownership of a character. I took ownership of Nolan and Julie took B. And we would write those POV chapters and then tap into each other. So 
I think because we are also taking ownership of the characters themselves, you know, Julie could come in and be like, I think B would say this more like this way and adjust her dialogue or, you know, adjust the reactions. And then I would do the same with Nolan. So even though we kind of split it up by chapter, POV chapter, we were in each other's words a lot, just, you know, adding and layering and finessing. But with Snowplace Like LA, it's one POV. And so we were a little (laughs) nervous about how, that would work, but we ended up falling into a really great rhythm where we would trade off chapters and then the other author would come in and kind of write over the chapter. So like I said before, Julie is so great at those one-liners, those just really great, I call them indie movie moments, you know, where you can imagine the character in a music video or in a montage in an indie movie. And then I obviously like to, you know, make everything like five more chili peppers as I'm going through. (laughs) And so with us kind of layering over each other's voices, we kind of got one singular Luca voice in the novella. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with the novella, you went in and wrote the very beginning. I went in and wrote like from the beginning on through most of the middle and then you picked up the end. And so then we just started writing over on top of each other. But yeah, it, I think it helps that like we have a really similar sense of humor and we really have like we could finish each other's sentences kind of friendship. So I do think that like our voice for these books is very distinct from even our the voice you might find in our own solo projects. Yeah. How did you go about building Christmas Notch? I mean, I don't often think about world building per se in a contemporary romance, but Christmas Notch is its very own unique place, especially with the puns for all of those businesses. <laughs> I mean, we've seen towns like this in Hallmark movies. Like I think about Evergreen, but Evergreen doesn't lean into it even to the degree that like Christmas Notch does. So <laughs> where between you two did this place come from? I think it was a joint, like it was really us kind of spitballing back to the hot tub. Uh, We, you know, we brought the pie to the edge of the hot tub and we were pieing it up as we were, you know, like how you, like, there's like the movie stereotype of like Wall Street traders, like doing cocaine or something. And they're like, let's go make money. We were like mainlining pie. And we're like, what if there was a town where it was Christmas all the time? But Julie and I, I think are united as contemporary authors and that usually setting comes first for us. Setting is probably the foundation of all of the stories we tell. And if we don't have the setting really kind of lined up in our minds, it's difficult for us to move on to developing characters and then developing the story. I think generally the story is like the last bit that kind of comes for us. It's like setting character story. Um, And I, I love all kinds of settings, but Julie, you have a lot of practice with small towns in particular. Yeah, I really do love small town settings. And I think we felt even more validated in creating this forever Christmas town after our dear friend Nisha, who is like dating Dr. Dilfame, fantastic, but also obsessed with Hallmark movies. And she was the one that really kind of put us on to the fact that like, a lot of these movies are made in like the same places over and over again. And it's of like some of these towns, some of these actors are essentially like reskinned for like movie after movie. And so once we found out that like it made sense to have this like 365 day Christmas town and it also made like plot sense, that's all it took for us to just like off to the races. I mean, like there's so there's a toy shop in 
like it looks like a toy shop on the front like a very like you know child-friendly toy shop on the outside and it actually doubles as the costume shop for these productions but in the second book we actually got to make the toy shop too and the toy shop too is the nighttime dirty version of the toy shop just down the road and we got to put it on our map and it has like these little butt plugs in the windows and it's just because that's another thing was like we saw this town as like a fully formed place so we were like we know this is unusual for like a contemporary romance, but we want like a map in the front of this book. And our publisher thankfully was really excited to work with us on that. But yeah, it's just something I love to do and it makes the inside joke even bigger. <laughs> you mentioned pie quite a lot and I do love yeah. a good pie. So I have to ask, what are the go-to pies for like, you know, these hot tub writing sessions? So every year our retreats are normally in December and we normally rent like a little cabin somewhere. Um, and I bring the pie. I am the bringer of the pie. And I usually bring a pie from a place in here in DFW called Emporium Pies. And I think our favorite has got to be the Father Christmas pie, right? It's like a peppermint, like chocolate cream Oreo-ish pie. I don't know. It's delicious. It's like, think like a key lime pie, but the crust is chocolate. And then the limey part is like a peppermint chocolate. And then it's got the like whipped creamy stuff on top. It is amazing. Oh it's really good. And then the other one we get that we really like a lot is the Mary Berry, right? What I can't remember what that one is though. It's like cranberries. I want to say cherries, some other berries, uh, but then it has this really delicious sugared crust on the top. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's really One good. more reason to come to your writing retreats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never, I never go to like an, a thing empty handed. Like anytime I drive up to Sierra's house in Kansas, I bring like a box of donuts from like a weird donut place or something like that. I just, just let me feed you. <laughs> I just nice. wish I could bring you something from Kansas city, but we don't have food that travels. I could bring you cold ribs, cold ribs. <laughs> I love cold ribs. Eight hour old ribs. <laughs> yeah. I love cold ribs. Said me never. <laughs> so you brought us back to this universe, although not to Christmas, not specifically this time with snow place like LA. And I have to say, it's an apt title since it did snow in L.A. this past winter. It just kind of worked out that way. <laughs> Tell everybody about the story of Luca and Angel, who we got to see a good bit of in Merry Little Meet Cute. So Luca is our costume designer, and he comes from Uncle Ray Ray's. So normally he is costuming, you know, adult movies. He sort of segued into also doing these wholesome Christmas movies as well. Very different kind of costuming. And his real passion is designing wedding dresses, which he gets to do for the movie in A Merry Little Me Cute. And over the course of A Merry Little Meet Cute, he and Angel, who is an animator and also the son of the producer who owns Uncle Ray Ray's, Uncle Ray himself, they strike up a little romance. But due to some miscommunications and, you know, a series of unfortunate events, they their relationship kind of fractures when Angel travels to Europe. Now, Angel would like to dispute every version of events that Luca thinks has happened <laughs> between them. But in Luca's mind, when you open up Snow Place Like L.A., Angel has ghosted him, like broken mm. his heart in just the most unconscionable way by going to Paris with his hot ex, you know, like that's unforgivable. And so Luca is very wounded by all of this. 
And at the same time, Uncle Ray Ray's has started doing a porn parody of Pretty Woman. So Luca is working on set of the porn Pretty Woman. And lo and behold, Angel has to work on the movie too. And they're thrown in on the same movie set at the same time. And Luca is like, well, LA is huge. Like, what are the odds that I'm going to keep running into him? And yet there he is at every turn. So much I loved about this book. I mean, right from the moment you kick it off with the whole thing about Love Actually and airports. (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely Sierra. She has like, she's something to say about Love Actually. So it was definitely, that was definitely Sierra's moment. I don't know that I have something to say, but I just feel like, you know, multiple things can be true about Love Actually. It can have had a cultural impact and still be a, a, a very messy movie. <laughs> and you also managed to, you know, speak the truth about cantaloupe as well within the movie. Another cantaloupe hater. <laughs> Vindicated. I highlighted that in my Kindle. I'm like, yes, this thing right here. <laughs> I'm so just glad to be here in this moment with you of hating cantaloupe. <laughs> you even are by your reaction that you're not a cantaloupe hater or just surprised that there's so many of us. I'm I'm, I'm indifferent to cantaloupe. Like okay. what did cantaloupe ever do to me? But I've been just so amazed to see how much Sierra can hate cantaloupe. Like I didn't know that a hate for something could run this deep. And you know, my sister recently like put together like a real, like I was sick recently. My sister put together like a fruit salad bowl and I forgot to send you a picture, but it was like 75% melon based fruit. I think that you would have watched it. <laughs> send it back. Yeah. It's like, no, send, send it back. back. The worst gift ever. Feels so validated right now. (laughs) How do you describe the voice that these books have? Because the two that we've read, and even the snippet that is, you know, the preview for the next book that's at the back of Snowplace Like LA, there's such this distinct voice and vibe that even though you're talking about and working with completely different main characters it holds together so well. And I can't think of a series that I've quite seen like that before. It mesmerizes me as a reader and as a writer to understand how you did this. I don't even know that it's on purpose. (laughs) I mean, I think it's pretty organic. I think that we, first of all, we did want it to feel, as a friend of mine has described, wholesomely filthy. And so we wanted it to have lots of chili peppers but what we like about christmas movies is that they're sort of unapologetically earnest and i think that that's like not cool right now i have teenage kids and a lot of things are cringe i hear and so i think we're kind of in a moment where like earnestness is kind of it's suspect or it's it must be unnuanced or something like that and we really kind of wanted to indulge ourselves with some earnestness and you know really make an unapologetically sentimental book that was also still very sticky (laughs) inside, you know, lots of fluids. But I also think that we really wanted early on for there not to be like an antagonist in the traditional sense. Like really the two antagonists in A Merry Little Meet Cute are the paparazzi and the American healthcare system. And so, you know, there are, these characters are really dear to our hearts and they are coming to the page with, you know, different identities. And so we didn't want those characters to have to go through some sort of like really wrenching 
storyline in order to get there happily ever after. You know, B is a plus size actress and there's a lot of really, you know, hard and miserable stories that we could tell. And I think that we really wanted to create a world where B gets the best version of that story. And we kind of applied that lens to everything. Yeah. I mean, I think the same goes for Angel. Like Angel is someone who grew up in like what is probably a very like homophobic town with like a Luca. I'm fact checking you. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. (laughs) I always get Angel and Luca's names confused and this is my fatal flaw. It's gonna, it's gonna ruin us. We need a couple names like. Yeah. Lugal or Lugal. (laughs) Lugal. That's so sexy. That sounds like a baked good from somewhere. Yeah. Ooh. From from Germany, maybe like maybe. oh, the Lugels are very good yeah. at this Christmas market. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, okay, so sorry. Luca comes from like a really small Oregon town with like a family that didn't really know what to do with him, and it was really conscientious on our part to make sure that like Luca's story was always like hopeward facing, like it was always like in search of like his perfect happily ever after and that there wasn't all this trauma that had to continue resurfacing throughout his story in order for him to gain like any kind of character arc or anything like that but i also think that like mary little meet cute starts out with like sort of like the trope joke of the whole story which is like you know b is automatically like who is possibly ever going to recognize me in this movie because who watches adult film and also craves these wholesome Christmas movies. And it turns out that a lot of us (laughs) do indeed. So yeah, you said really smart things, Sierra. You said smart things too. You're so smart. You're so smart. You're so pretty. pretty. You are too, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) How was it coming back to work on these characters again? with Snow Place and then for the next book as well with Holly Jolly. I mean, amazing because we had so much fun creating these characters. And I think when you're co-writing, well, when you're solo writing, it's very sort of natural, I think, for characters to become a magnified slice of you. You know, like not my characters aren't one to one matches to me, but they are sort of, you know, there is some, you know, alleles plucked from the DNA strand of me that goes into that character. And so over time, you develop a Sierra Simone kind of character or a Julie Murphy kind of character. And writing together meant that we were writing different kinds of characters. And so I don't know on my own that I ever could have written characters like Sonny and Luca, who are let's just say they have big theater kid energy, right? Like they're very like, they're funny, they're vocal, they're very vivacious. My characters tend to be more like Angel, who's like, I'm quiet and tortured because I'm so artistic. (laughs) And so it was so exciting to get back to these characters who are so different from what I normally write because they're so much fun. And I think that one of the beautiful things about getting to write a series like this is that by the time we started writing Luca's story, we knew Luca pretty well. Like we knew him from writing A Merry Little Me Cute. And now that we're working on book three, which has Sunny in it, like I feel like I know Sunny really well because we've written so much Sunny. And so it's like you get to know these characters better and better instead of each book kind of being a blank slate, you know, a tabula rasa where you have to get to know these characters from scratch. 
There was another big word there with tabula rasa. I know. <laughs> that might even be a bigger word than monolith. <laughs> like a little walking museum library. I don't even know. Who, who is that? Is that Locke? Is that Descartes? See, I don't even know where the word comes from. Stop. Some philosopher. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to power you down. <laughs> So for each of you, what's a favorite scene out of Snow Place like LA? Okay, I'm, I think I'm going to do my favorite scene that Julie wrote, which is there is a moment where Angel and Luca are, they realize they're trapped on the set of making this movie and Sunny is directing it. And Sunny is like, I am not having this impact my mo- my great debut of directing. And she locks the two of them in a room together. And she was like, talk it out. Like, just figure it out so that you guys can work on this movie. And rather than talk, Luca decides to dive out of a window headfirst <laughs> into some rose bushes. And then, of course, they're thorny. And so he falls and then his hands are prickled by the thorns. And he's like, my hands, my beautiful hands. Anyway, that's my favorite scene. Um, that is my favorite that... rom com moment, I think, in the <laughs> entire book right there. It's so funny. <laughs> I was just rolling when I read it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, my favorite scene that you wrote is very spoilery and involves a bathtub. So (laughs) I can't give away too much there, but I can, this is a sort of more R-rated reference to the book, but my favorite little line or thing that you wrote was when you established that the ex-boyfriend is having a windsock dick. (laughs) because that joke just really like we took that joke and ran with it um so yeah that i I think every uh, single time it came up i smiled it's like here it is again yeah beige windsock that sounds like a band name like a college band name beige windsock i can see it now yeah perfect (laughs) how did you decide on pretty woman to be what was being parodied on the porn shoot Well, I mean, I wish I could say that we sat down seriously and we were like, what art do we want to deconstruct and bring back into the conversation? But I think really it was when we were writing A Merry Little Me Cute, we were hyper aware of Pretty Woman as sort of an er narrative of sex workers in contemporary America. And sort of this component of the movie is that, you know, Julia Roberts' character has to leave sex work at the end in order to kind of get her Prince Charming, right? That's really fundamental to the movie is that being a sex worker and getting a happily ever after were incompatible. And so when we were working on the book, we were trying to sort of dodge, not even dodge, but, you know, fray the edges of that narrative as much as we could. We really wanted to make sure that this book was not just sex positive, but sex work positive, and that sex work was not being sort of held as a last resort or anything like that. And so we, it was really on our minds. And so when it came time to write this novella, I think it was just like the natural thing that we, our brains went to. I am so glad you answered that first, because all I was going to say was that we just really like saying big mistake huge to each other. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm so glad that you had this smart answer to like (laughs) unroll there for us. That was also like equally important is that we wanted a character to say big mistake huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how many distinct opinions Luca has about this whole thing too, and how it's being costumed and who's playing the role and that the, that actress has not seen pretty woman. She hasn't seen pretty woman. What, what, what is it? She doesn't think that there's been a good 
movie like no good movies were made before like iron man or something yeah one of the marvel movies yeah yeah which is that's a little bit of a sierra dna there because (laughs) i divide all movies by before jurassic park and after jurassic park and you're gonna have to do a lot of convincing to get me to watch a bjp movie because i just don't think any good movies were made before 1992 1993 Except for Tremors, which is an objectively perfect movie. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it is. I just like to be divisive. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get me started on sugar cookies. I got words to say. <laughs> she hates sugar cookies. She hates oatmeal cookies, oatmeal raisin cookies. Yeah, well, you everyone hate hates sugar oatmeal. cookies. They're God's God's mistakes is how I feel about sugar cookies. You don't want to go on a Christmas book tour with this girl when people are asking But that's the foundation of Christmas cookies. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like them. They are tasteless. They're just like eating the inside of drywall. What is that? Like gypsum powder? That's what they taste like. But it's what you put on top of them that make the difference. Can we mute her? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's suspect to me. (laughs) We'll have to take this up offline somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Deconstruct this problem a little bit more because this is concerning. <laughs> Since we are celebrating Christmas in July, I really want to ask the questions that I would ask if we were doing this for December. So what's a favorite holiday tradition for each of you? I Okay, back to love, actually. Every year since high school, my friends and I have gotten together to watch Love Actually. It has sort of become like the Love Actually family Christmas. It's like the linchpin in our holiday season. And what's really great is this has been, gosh, almost 20 years now. And so babies and divorces and second marriages, all of that has kind of happened in conversation with watching Love Actually once a year together. And it's developed into like a midnight showing kind of energy. So we act out different parts. There is a scene where Rick Grimes is, you know, he has to tell Kira Knightley that he likes her and creepily records her. And then he walks outside and he dramatically zips up his pullover and then squats in the middle of this like square. And so everyone has to, you know, reenact it as they're watching it physically. (laughs) And then I think this year we're going to dress up as background characters. So one person is going to come as a CD player because there's a CD player in the background of every shot. One person is going to come as Keir Knightley's hat. I'm going to be the person who wears one earring at Bill Nighy's celebration party when he finds out that he hit number one. So I don't know. I just I know that the movie is a giant mess and yet I love it so I, That's that really good. sounds like a ton of fun. I hope you post images from that on your Instagram or your social somewhere if your party guests allow it. <laughs> yes. Oh, I forgot that one year I did go to a midnight showing and I dressed up as the art that is in the back of Rick Grimes's art gallery. And so I put on like a skin tight purple dress and then I put tiny Santa hats on my nipples so that I looked just like the art in the art gallery. <laughs> It was great. It was well-received, I think. Oh, my God. It was so good. I forgot about that. That was really good. Oh, man. My favorite tradition. So we normally send each other, like, a huge box of presents, like, to each other's families every year for Christmas. And one year, they my box of Christmas presents to Sierra's family was late by, like, two months Oh my God. And I was losing my mind because I forgot to save my receipt. 
and couldn't find the tracking on it. And so Sierra just kept being like, I told you, you should always buy your postage online so that you always have your tracking in your email and you can always, and I was just, I couldn't hear, I told you so again. And so this last year we decided to spend New Year's Eve together and we got to trade presence in person and it was a lot of fun so I really liked that and I hope we make a tradition of it we also I am Jewish and only started like in the last few years lighting a menorah with my spouse and that has turned into a really fun thing for us to try to figure out what the hell this means to us and to also try to make like latkes and things like that very experimental on our end so that's been really good yeah lots of different little things and you're a real tree girl like you go and you get the real tree we're real tree people but you know what this last year ours was like dead on arrival so i'm really second guessing my real tree like vent like you know thing here well if you're in the market for an artificial tree i have a great company to tell you about (laughs) (laughs) who happens to be sponsoring this episode yeah (laughs) sponsored by Boston Hill. <laughs> There's also a Hallmark movie about dying Christmas trees. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Save the Christmas tree I haven't farm. seen this one. Yeah, oh, man, Bianca, I gotta watch it. Bianca McKellar, and I can't remember the male lead, although it's one of the usual Hallmark male leads. She's a tree whisperer, and she comes in to figure out why all these Christmas trees are, like, dying after they get cut. Does this make us the villains in a Christmas movie that we're, like, hawking fake trees at people? Oh, certainly not. Nothing wrong with a good Balsam Hill. I mean, Hallmark's primary sponsor at Christmas is Balsam yeah, Hill. So Exactly. <laughs> we have always been real tree people, and this is mainly because of our cats. Like, I can deal with my cats ruining a real tree that I get once a year. But if I spent Balsam Hill money on a Balsam mm-hmm. Hill tree, I'd be really sad if those branches were destroyed by my cat who thinks they can sit, like, six stories high in a tree, you know? Yeah, Yeah. and all of your cats are, like, also Scorpios, I feel Mm -hmm. like. The fact that you wouldn't want them to climb in the tree would just make them want it more. Yeah, yeah. Would just push them to do it. So going back to childhood, what's a favorite holiday gift that you received? Me and Sierra were poor kids growing up, so we probably got, like, I think I got, like, the weirdest homemade gifts from my mom. Like, one year, everyone was getting a Skip It which was like that ball attached to like the plastic, like the hard plastic thing that went around your ankle. And my mom made me one out of like prickly yellow rope and a tennis ball. And it shred my ankle to pieces. I've never heard this story before. Are you serious? Yes, Gilbert made me (laughs) a skip it and it destroyed my ankle. So that was very memorable. But also I really remember loving like, the Walkman my mom got me one year, I was like, this is the meaning of freedom. I can listen <laughs> to my own music on my own time. The future is now. Yeah, the future's here. Well, like Julie said, we both grew up pretty poor. And so my mom had like a variety of mental health issues. And so there were times when I would go live with my dad and he was working like two jobs. We were living in a trailer, like just very poor, single dad. And I remember we were walking through Kmart. I'm really dating myself here. And that was back. I don't know if they still do this, but every year there was like a holiday Barbie. And Mm -hmm. so like she would have a unique dress and it was like, you know, a limited edition for just that year. 
And we walked past a huge display of them. And she had this beautiful silver dress with sparkles and poofy sleeves like Ariel's wedding dress and the Little Mermaid. And I wanted it so badly. And I remember like tugging on my dad's hand and I told him that I wanted it. And he said, I'm really sorry. We can't, I can't afford that for you. And I don't think I'll be able to get it for Christmas. And then that year for, you know, later that year for Christmas, it was the only present I got, but I got that Barbie. She was under the tree on Christmas morning. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember he had roommates in the trailer so that he could like afford rent. And so I didn't have like a whole lot of room of my own, but he would turn over his lunch cooler that he would pack his lunch in because he was a plumber and I could put my Barbie, my holiday Barbie, she would be going to her holiday balls inside of this little plastic lunch cooler. Oh, I love that. That's a good story. You both had good stories. More sexy holiday magic on the way in November. What can you tell us about Holly Jolly Ever After? Which I have to say, I kind of want it right now, now that I've read the (laughs) prologue in chapter one. (laughs) So I think pretty early on in the hot tub with the pie, you know, buzzing in our systems, we decided that we really wanted there to be a reason why these books would be related. And, you know, in romance, it's pretty common to have interconnected standalones where they're a family or group of friends or a book club or whatever. And so we decided that we wanted our group to be a defunct boy band because Julie and I are survivors of the like NSYNC Backstreet Boys Wars. Mm-hmm. And it was very formative to us. We were like the TRL generation. And so we really wanted to have them be boy bands. So each book in the Christmas Notch series has as its hero, one of the members of the boy band. And so this hero is Callum Lieberman. Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. Callum, Julie? So Callum Lieberman, if you were to think of our boy band as like these 2000s boy band icons, Callum Lieberman is like the funny one. He's the dad bod. He's like our Joey Fatone. You know, he's not like, he's not the bad boy. He's not the hot one, but he's funny. And you really just need him there to round out the numbers. And so Callum has gone on after his boy band fame to start a local or like a regional pizza chain called Slice Slice Baby. And he's actually found a lot of success being like the pizza mogul of the Midwest, but he's not quite settled down. He's sort of got a reputation for banging bridesmaids at weddings. And then those bridesmaids oftentimes go on to find the love of their lives. So he's, you know, bangs them, sends them on their way. And then, you know, they find their happily ever after. And it's sort of like, Callum's curse but like the bridesmaid's blessing and (laughs) so Callum has this little homemade tape of his that gets out in a merry little meet cute we find out about it and it's a sex tape and it goes a little viral and it turns out that people are still pretty hot for Callum Lieberman and so Callum decides to capitalize on this moment that he has like re-entered like the zeitgeist And he decides that he's going to go ahead and star in a new Hope Channel original film, as the Hope Channel has recently discovered that there is an appetite for spicier holiday movies. And so they're going to do a spicy Santa origin story called Santa Baby about how Santa and Mrs. Claus met for the very first time. And then you want to tell us a little bit about our Mrs. Claus? 
Yeah, so Mrs. Claus is played by Winnie Baker, who is actually the actress who was supposed to star in the movie in A Merry Little Me Cute. And then she's kind of taken out at a music festival. Like, she's not dead or anything. She's fine. But (laughs) she has an unfortunate experience at a music festival and it has to be hospitalized for exhaustion for a couple days. And so she can't do the movie and B takes her place. And since then, her star has really fallen because she was known as sort of the Hope Channel darling. She's one of those actresses that's in, you know, four or five of these movies a year. And it was all about maintaining that clean image, which is now tarnished. But here's an opportunity for her to go back to the Hope Channel with that tarnished reputation and kind of trade on it a little bit. And so she's going to film this spicy movie, which she's never done before. And Winnie Baker grew up in what we would call purity culture. Like she has been really a victim of that mindset for a long time. But after her divorce, she's been to therapy. She's done a lot of work to sort of decolonize herself of that mindset. But as soon as she gets to the set of Santa Baby and it's time to start filming some of these spicy scenes, she's really struggling a little bit. And it turns out that she's not very good at the spicy scenes because she's never had good sex in real life. And so that's really hindering her. So Callum, as an artist who cares about art, volunteers (laughs) as caller valiantly volunteers to give Winnie good sex so that, you know, her sex scenes will improve, you know, for the movie, for the sake of the movie. And so that's where the story kicks off. Sex lessons and Santa Claus and pizza. (laughs) There's the marketing line right there. Yep. (laughs) I love that we got to see Winnie, you know, because we just get the tiniest little glimpses of who she is in Merry Little Meet Cute. And I was, it was cool to see her come back and get to have her essentially redemption moment and get back in the spotlight a little bit. And I'm so into the fact that you created Hope Channel After Dark, (laughs) something I can't even imagine the Hallmark Channel ever doing. (laughs) I mean, there's money there, Hallmark. Come on. (laughs) Money on the table, money on the table. (laughs) So since there's four boy band members, does that mean we get two more books after this? So we are going to have, there is the heartthrob after Callum, and that is Isaac. And so the third book in the Christmas Notch series is going to be Isaac and Sonny, which we're really excited about. And it's also going to dive a little bit into Christmas Notch itself. There's going to be one Christmas miracle, exactly one. And you'll get to hear a little bit about how Christmas Notch became the town that it is. So we're we're pretty excited. Also, I think there's going to be like, you know, a double date with two hot lady librarians, Sonny and Isaac. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, we're really looking forward to that. And there will be another novella too in between book three and book four. That'll be out next July. Yes. More Christmas in July. Yay. Yeah, more <laughs> Christmas in July. And speaking of boy bands, Sync or Backstreet Boys? Who is it for you? Oh, in sync, yeah, I think hands yeah. down. But I think that we, you know, there, there's good stuff about the Backstreet Boys, right? Like, you know, it's like a, it's like a buffet. You know, I'm not going to eat the pasta salad, but I will take a roll. Like, I think there's some rolls in the Backstreet Boys. So, you know, when we were writing a Merry Little Meet Cute, I really had in mind, you know, how AJ McLean was really like the bad boy. He had the stocking cap and the tattoos, and you know, like he just seemed so so edgy and so I was kind of like borrowing that that energy but yeah I think we're both pretty pretty much in sync people sync all right what about you what who's your drug of choice you know I mean I really like them both let's just be totally honest but Backstreet Boys (laughs) because Backstreet Boys was first for me we had 
in that time frame, which would have been even, I guess, somewhere in the middle 90s, based on how we saw it, we were seeing Backstreet Boys initially when they were hot in Canada. Oh. Because we had a satellite dish and we had access to, I think it was called Much Music. Yeah. <laughs> and they were playing there. So we were seeing things like Backstreet's Back and some of that stuff before it hit MTV and before it really hit in the States. It's like, this is kind of fun, this thing that we're seeing here. So we had a little bit of an advanced edge on that. And it's always been Backstreet Boys as my like primary one. But in sync, I mean, you know. I'll, I'll take that just as easily. So. Yeah. I have two things to add. One is that I think Hot in Canada would be an amazing romance title. Just throwing that out there for <laughs> anyone who wants that. Oh, <laughs> and, and then two, we were doing an interview with, gosh, was it Mel at Heaving Bosoms? And she was like, neither. I choose 98 degrees. And we were shocked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't tell you a 98 degrees song. I mean, I know the Lachey's came from yeah. there, but I can't tell you a 98 <laughs> degrees song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like mostly just known for Love is Blind now, I think. <laughs> Nothing else. But I mean, they had their fans. So it's good that, you know, they're number one for somebody, which is good, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> number one for somebody would also be a good book title. <laughs> So beyond Holly Jolly that's coming out later this year, what can you share about what's coming next from each of you in your solo projects? Julie, tell them about my favorite book that you wrote. Okay, well, this will be out in July. And so my next middle grade will have just come out called Campsylvania. And it's basically like if Gwyneth Paltrow bought a fat camp, but was actually maybe a vampire. So that's very specific. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It, It's pretty funny, pretty like, you know, full of hijinks, very ridiculous. And then, you know, we'll have Holly Jolly Ever After out in October. And then I'll also have my very first picture book out this year called Chubby Bunny. So buy it for every kid, you know, it's super cute, super hilarious. The artwork is fantastic. That's awesome. Branching out into picture books. I don't think there's enough of those out there. Yeah. To keep spreading the, you know, complete diversity of messages to let all the kids find themselves in a picture book. Yeah. Like that, I agree. That's such an awesome trend that's going on. Yeah. And I got to say, the art for it is so adorable and like inclusive too. Like, I mean, Julie and the artist, I think, really hit a vibe and a resonance together. And it's just, it's amazing. But legally, I think we have to say, do not try to play Chubby Bunny <laughs> at home alone. <laughs> Yeah, we had so Chubby Bunny is about like a schoolyard game, essentially, that I learned in Girl Scouts where you put a marshmallow in your mouth and you say Chubby Bunny, and then you put a marshmallow in your mouth and you say Chubby Bunny again. And basically, whoever has the most marshmallows in their mouth at the end of the game and can still say Chubby Bunny wins. And that's what the picture book is about. And we had to put like a legal warning at the beginning of the picture book, like only play (laughs) Chubby Bunny under adult supervision. (laughs) Yeah, because I think it was like okay. someone in 1987 in Latvia died. Yeah, playing Chinese. But they Chucky were like Bunny 39 or something. or something. We got all the facts wrong just now, but <laughs> but the essence of it. The was, essence. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what do you have coming up, Sierra Simone? So I am working on a trilogy that is a kinky contemporary queer retelling of Mark Tristan Isolde, that legend. If anyone has seen the 2006 film where James Franco cries a lot. That is the same legend that I am, you know, borrowing from. 
And I did this with King Arthur a few years ago. And I was like, okay, I've said everything I need to say about like, you know, power and sacrifice and marriage and loyalty. And then like a year later, I was like, no, I didn't. I have to do it again. And so I'm back for Marchers and Isolde. So that the first book in that series is called Salt Kiss. And that is out in September. And I'm very excited. It's set in a kink club. So it's really raunchy kind of right off the bat. But that's how I like it. (laughs) Awesome. Good stuff to look forward to. So as we wrap up, we got to get some book recommendations. What have you been reading recently that our listeners should be checking out? Okay, so I will say, because I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, for anyone who is in Central California, I just read Forget Me Not by Julie Soto, which is set in Sacramento. That is about a florist and a wedding planner who had a horrible breakup, and now they have to work together on an influencer's wedding. And it's like the kind of wedding that could make both of their careers. So the stakes are really high. And he is super grumpy and tall, which shouldn't matter, but sometimes (laughs) it does matter when people are tall. So he's tall and grumpy and it's just, it's really beautiful. And then I'm also reading a book called Babel by RF Kuang. And it is a fantasy book, but it's also like historical fantasy. So it's set in the 1830s in a slightly alternate universe of Oxford where they have figured out that silver has magical properties and they can use silver to do translation work. And so it's a book that's examining empire and colonization and translation and language and how empires use language and translation as a tool to like, you know, oppress people. But it's like fun. That makes it sound like, you know, like a textbook, but it's really gorgeously written and fascinating. You're so smart. I never, I mean, I love that you answer first with stuff like this, but then I'm like, (laughs) I'm reading a book. I can't remember what it's about, but it has a cute cover. Okay, but but I am about to start The Neighbor Favor by Christina Forrest. What were you going to say? What, you know what book I'm about to say? You are reading Big Swiss, which has the best cover I've seen in forever. Big Swiss, it's so good. I am a slow reader too. Sierra reads like voraciously and I read very slow because of the ADHD. But I'm reading Big Swiss right now and it is about a girl who starts transcribing for a sex therapist and falls in love with one of the sex therapist clients. And it is so funny and like a little bit weird. And the cover is like weird and uncomfortable and kind of sexy, but like, <laughs> like it's I sexy just pulled and like this a, up and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like the kind of face I'm sure we've all made before, but like, do you actually want that photographed? Uh, anyways. Lots of fun. Awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure that book's linked in the show notes so everybody at least can go look at the cover and then decide if they're going to pick that up. The cover's (laughs) worth looking at. The cover's definitely worth a look. Uh, (laughs) Right down to the font on it, too. It's not just the picture, but how the font sits and everything. I love it. Big design going on there. I I bought it just for the cover. And then I was like, oh, this is like a sapphic romance. I had no idea. I was just like, I don't care what this could be a Heidi retelling for all I know. And I'm still going to buy it because of this cover. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So tell everybody where they can keep up with you online to know about the new stuff coming out. Any extras you put out there for the world. To keep up with Sierra, you have to go on a quest and cross at least three bridges and like moats and then answer several riddles to a troll who won't actually ask you the question to begin with. You have to figure out the question and the answer. And that's how you oh. keep in touch with Sierra. 
That's a really good description of being friends yeah. with me as well. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I'm in charge of Sierra Simone's social media, essentially. So yeah, Julie is my social media manager. So just follow Julie on Instagram and then you'll know what I'm doing. But I will say that I have a newsletter that I like more than social media because when I start talking about, you know, I don't know, monoliths and Heidi retellings, I can get a little wordy. Mm-hmm. And I like that newsletters give you a little bit more room to chatter. So you can sign up for my newsletter on my website. Julie and I also have a joint newsletter yes, uh, that you can sign up at juliansierra.com. And it's also linked in our Instagram bios. But yeah, I think you're mostly an Instagram girl, aren't you? Yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram. You can find me just about anywhere as and I'm Julie. I'm on TikTok as and I'm Julie Zero. And I do have a newsletter that I send out sometimes, but that's the great thing about my newsletter is I don't actually send out newsletters. (laughs) Isn't that a great thing? I don't know. I mean, I don't think a marketing manager would say that's a good thing, but maybe it's a good thing for people who don't want newsletters. There you go. Julie and Sierra, I've enjoyed this so much. I don't know that I've laughed in any given interview over the eight years of this show quite so much. (laughs) We are honored. <laughs> Thank you On so brand. much for these it's wonderful the Christmas Notch books. I can't wait to get to November and the next one. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having Thank us. This was so much fun. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. We've got links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. Thanks so much to Sierra and Julie for joining us. I love so much the universe that they've created, and talking to them about it was an absolute blast. I'm also certain that I need pie from the place that they mentioned. The next time I end up in Dallas, I think I'm going to be seeking that place out. And we just might need to have an intervention with Sierra to help understand and help her through her sugar cookie issues. All right, I think that'll do it for now. Coming up next Monday, we're going to help Robin Knight celebrate his 15th publishing anniversary. Robin's books were some of the very first I read in this genre 15 years ago, so it is so wonderful to celebrate with him. We're going to talk about the wrap-up of his Fathoms 5 series, which is actually what he started with 15 years ago, and we're going to talk about his recent romances Under the Arabian Sky and the forthcoming Hurtless. Thank you everyone for listening, and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kinds of stories we all love, the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Original theme music by Daryl Banner. Music